HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture. We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, Food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. Mm -hmm. And so I literally go around little slips of paper and and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meat plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, welcome to HRN Happy Hour. Five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director at HRN, and as always, here with my co-host Katie Mosman Wadler, our executive director. Hey, Kat! Happy Thursday! Happy Thursday! It's been a weird week because we were out of the office yesterday on a really fun field trip, which we'll tell you about yeah. in just a minute. Uh, but it's uh, nice to be back on a Thursday that kind of feels like a Monday, um, and we're happy to have joining us in the booth Amanda Wang, making us sound great. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, and we have two very, very special, wonderful guests here in studio with us today. Yes. Um, today's guests are John DeBerry and Michael Romali, two of the visionaries. I'm going to say it, guys. Visionaries okay. behind. <laughs> I'll, I'll allow it. it. Um, but they're um, with the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, which you probably, you maybe haven't heard of yet. You probably haven't heard of yet. Um, but you're going to hear all about it today. And... I'm incredibly excited to have both of you here to talk about this incredible organization that you've started. Welcome. Thank you. That was perfect unison. (laughs) We do everything together. (laughs) I love it. Um, So we're going to talk a lot more about RWCF, um, but first we're going to jump into a couple of announcements and a special preview. Uh, We are getting ready for next week. Yes. What's happening next week, Kat? Next week... This time next week, Katie and I will be in Charleston, where the weather will probably be a little bit warmer, a little bit sunnier, might be a little bit happier. A little bit whinier, (laughs) a little bit foodier. Yeah. Uh, We're super excited about that. Uh, We will be, for the fourth year in a row, broadcasting live interviews from the Culinary Village. We have some um, new and exciting things planned this year. Uh, we will be teaming up with Le Creuset to um, have an amazing podcasting space. And we're going to be talking to old friends and new friends. And in just a moment, we're going to do some headlines and everything first. But we're going to talk to one of the chefs that we will be hanging out with in Charleston. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that. Very excited. Um, and I was going to just take this opportunity to say that there will be no HR and happy hour next Thursday. Sorry to disappoint. 
Uh, the good news is that we will have HRN Happy Hour Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So yes, we will. stay tuned. Uh, you'll miss us Thursday, but we'll be uh, back all over the weekend. So, so don't much. fret. So much happy Too hour. Much. So much happy hour. Um, and then uh, stay tuned for uh, later in the month. Um, I'm actually going on vacation uh, after Charleston, but then I'll be back for one episode of HR and Happy Hour, and then I'm going with Sam Ben Ruby to uh, Seattle for Taste Washington. So uh, really, all up on the wine festivals this month, and I'm not mad about it. Yeah. So stay tuned. Tis the season. And uh, if you would like to learn more, Google Taste Washington so you can come hang out with us. It's going to be really fun. It's in a stadium. It's a stadium full of wine. So why would you not go there with me? Please come. It's going to be great. (laughs) Uh, We're going to go through a couple of quick headlines and then we're going to have a special guest joining us by phone. Um, first, we want to let you know that yesterday's episode of Feast Meets West was insanely awesome. It featured Elaine Chen of the New York Times and Wilson Tang of Namwa Tea Parlor. Linda Liu spoke to Chen and Tang about the evolution of Chinatown, one of the few historic immigrant working class neighborhoods left in Manhattan. They discussed business and demographic shifts in the broader cultural trends of a changing neighborhood. So check that one out. And earlier today, I stopped by Tech Bites along with my dog, Daisy. Why is this important? Because we were invited by Jen Liuzzi to join the conversation with Brett Podolsky and Jonathan Regev, co-founders of Farmer's Dog, a subscription-based dog food company that delivers real food for man's best friend. Sherry Bayer had the inimitable Kim Severson on All in the Industry this week. Um, Kim is the national food correspondent for the New York Times, and um, she was part of the reporting team that was awarded the Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for public service for reporting on workplace sexual harassment and the Me Too movement in food. And finally, this week on What Doesn't Kill You, Katie Kiefer asks the question, six months after Florence, how are North Carolina waterways managing their cleanup? She welcomes back Rick Dove, the senior advisor to the Waterkeeper Alliance and Riverkeeper for the Nuisi River, um, to find out how the state's responding to the disastrous flooding that that was caused by Hurricane Florence. So if you followed along with her content right after the hurricane happened and we had all that terrible stuff happening with like pig lagoons overflowing, Mm. you should follow up and listen to that episode. Yes. Yeah. All right. Speaking of North Carolina... Much better news out of better North Carolina. News. Uh, we have Chef Paul Verica on the phone. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, um, Chef. Very quickly, I want to introduce you a little bit. Um, Paul Verica is the chef owner at The Stanley, um, the locally sourced restaurant in the Elizabeth neighborhood of Charlotte, North Carolina. While he is a native of Philly, he has been cooking in the Charlotte area since 1998. He opened the Stanley just recently in 2018, where cooking is truly a family affair. His son, Alex, is the Stanley's sous chef. And the Stanley yesterday was announced as a semifinalist for the James Beard Award for Best New Restaurant. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're still pretty, pretty shocked by all that. It was a, a very pleasant surprise yesterday morning, for sure. So how did you all celebrate? Uh, we went... Uh, went out to a neighboring restaurant and bar called the Crunkleton and uh, we had ourselves a big old time. That sounds amazing. (laughs) amazing. So when did you open the Stanley? How new is it? Um, We opened in May of last year and for four years before that I had a restaurant a little bit further outside of town um, called Heritage Food and Drink and we got the Best Chef Southeast nod there in 2017. Amazing. Um, And it was just too small so we sold that and packed up and and moved to the big city so can you tell us a little bit about um working with your son as a sous chef i think that's a pretty unusual kind of a partnership in a restaurant well um how yeah how does how does that work um do you guys enjoy working together on a day-to-day basis and and um did he always know that he was going to follow in your footsteps a little bit um i I tried talking him out of it so much. I I sent him to a few friends' places, hoping that they would scare the living daylights out of him. And uh, every time he came back and was just like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. And, uh, you know, he started at Heritage as a dishwasher and uh, now basically runs day-to-day kitchen operations for us. Um, You know, he's, uh, he's really, it's been really, really fun and really, really cool, um, both as his father and as a chef 
um, to just watch him grow and learn and and really evolve into uh, into a, a chef himself and you know a great person. Um, we have fun together. We really do. We have a, we have a good time working together. That's awesome. So we're gonna see you at Charleston Wine and Food next weekend. Um, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what you're going to be doing at the festival? I believe we'll see you near the Springer Mountain Farms uh, fire pit area. What are you going to be cooking up? Um, that's Saturday. Yeah, sorry, I'm doing like three different events. I have to try and keep them straight in my head. Yep. yep. Um, so Saturday, we're do- in the Springer tent. We are doing um, smoked chicken wings with an Alabama white sauce. Probably hey. made with Hellman's mayonnaise. I'm on board mm. with that. I'm an Alabama native, so I approve that message. Uh, okay, cool. Even <laughs> with the Hellman's? Um, you know, it's okay. I would prefer Duke's, but I'm not going to complain at all. Uh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> cool. And yeah, and then we're doing a, a blended event where we're matched up with a winemaker on Friday and then a dinner at Pugin's Smokehouse on Thursday. So you've got a busy weekend ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. It'll, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is the, the first time that I'll be down there, so I'm excited for it. Anything you're planning uh, outside of work or places that you're dying to eat? Um, I, me and my girlfriend and I were talking about that last night, um, trying to figure out where we're going to go. I've been really slack on uh, on planning for that because um, that's kind of our, our thing. Um, we love to go and, and eat and eat and eat. Um, I definitely want to try and check out McCrady's and uh, Shane New and um, probably go back to The Ordinary, too. I had a great experience the last time I was there. Yeah, we were there last year, too. Ordinary is great. Let us know if you yeah, want more recommendations. Yeah. We're happy to send you our favorites list. Oh, cool. Yeah. Please, yeah, please send them yeah. along. And I'm just going to jump the gun with one and say you should go to the Hominy Grill and have shrimp and grits. Absolutely. I, I have a shellfish allergy. I wish I could. Okay. Well, you should have grits. They're really good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and tomato gravy. I love yeah. some grits. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, we're really looking forward to seeing you. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And huge congratulations again. Very well deserved. Thank um, you. And uh, Thank can't you. wait to try this uh, mayo sauce. I'm a big fan of Hellman's. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chef. Thanks, Chef. We'll see you in Thank days. you, guys. We'll see you next weekend. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We had a call-in uh, from Greg Collier last week as well, and so after the, these two call-ins, I'm very ready for all the food that Charleston's going to have to offer. It's going to be a marathon of eating, as it always is. Yes. I've been doing my stretches. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we're now super excited to talk to John and Michael about the restaurant, okay, restaurant Worker Community Foundation. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. All right. Let's start with the beginning. Begin at the beginning. Begin at the beginning. What inspired you to start this nonprofit, this community foundation? Well, um, it started after or during uh, a spasm of kind of existential panic that resulted from the 2016 election where you... where I kind of came to the realization where the things that I thought I was doing to like advance the cause of social justice in the world were pretty meaningless. And so I was sort of searching around for some way to actually uh, do something that was a little bit more significant and something a little bit more deliberate rather than just like donating into a political campaign or like doing some canvassing, you know, that's sort of like kind of fluffy stuff when it comes down to it. So I was texting with, um, a former Momofuku colleague of mine, uh, Alex Pamelia, and we were kind of having the similar like, like holy fuck, like what are we like what are we gonna do? Like how do we get the restaurant community like activated as sort of like a political, economic uh, kind of force in the world to 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 bend uh, the arc of history in the way that we want? Um, and so we were kind of banding around ideas of of ways of doing that and ways of organizing the community and. Um, I was it's actually on the train to Thanksgiving at Michael, uh, my husband's uh, family's house. And so we are, I sort of bounced these ideas off of him and he's, he's worked in philanthropy for, for many years. So he said, you know, what, what you're doing sounds like a community foundation. And what that is, is that it's a foundation that raises funds from a community and then also uh, 
gives grants on behalf of, of that community. So it rep usually represents a population either geographically or like kind of by identity. So there's like a, the New York Women's Foundation, there's a Stonewall Community Foundation. And so um, we wanted to replicate that for, for restaurant workers. So that was 2016. It took um, about like maybe, maybe like 18 months to more-ish to get a board together and to get our 501c3 status uh, set up. And so that all kind of, we got some uh, legal help from uh, the Lawyers Alliance and uh, that all basically resolves in September of last year. Uh, and then all the while we had sort of building our mission, kind of getting ourselves organized internally um, to then have uh, our launch event uh, in the, the end of November of 2018. And that was sort of like our, um, it felt a little bit like a wedding, you know, sort of like a witness to the creation of something. And like when you tell, tell people what you're up to, you're kind of held accountable to that. And that was our first, that was our first opportunity to really talk to like the kind of broader public about, about our mission. Um, and, you know, to talk about our mission, we're, uh, we're, seeking to raise funds from people who are you know have the money to give in the restaurant industry um and then de deploy those funds just very strategically on behalf of vulnerable people in the restaurant worker population um so we're hoping to address quality of life issues that make staying in the, re in the restaurant industry and succeeding in the restaurant industry hard so those include low wages uh and career mobility uh gender um gender equity and sexual violence, uh, mental health and substance abuse, uh, racial equity and immigration. Um, so we're hoping to address these these problems that affect really a lot of people, but the, the restaurant worker community is a huge part of our economy and it's probably getting larger, uh, if anything. Um, so by attacking these issues in the, in the industry, we can basically hope to create a broader change uh, in the world and also strengthen the, the labor force in the restaurant industry. So staffing is notoriously impossible <laughs> in the restaurant industry. You're lucky if you get someone for a year. Um, so a lot of those, the reasons why people drop out is because of their, they have a very, they have, don't have a very stable life. And if something happens, they're sort of like on thin ice and they're, they get fired for being a no call, no show. And that's just like really rough or they have to quit to take care of a family member or to have a child. So hoping to address, uh, to support these people in their lives so that they can have more meaningful, more longer term contributions to the restaurant industry as a whole. Um, I feel like I'm just like on this rant now, but. No, that's so, uh, like, it's like. <laughs> I can keep talking. It's great. Well, one thing I, I wanted to touch on um, is that this being a community foundation yeah. is like super central to the mission. Mm -hmm. And can you guys explain a little bit why it's important to be a community foundation in order to serve this community specifically? It's a really awesome question because as far as we know, so the community foundation model started like geographic communities. So, you know, the New York Community Trust and, you know, whatever little, you know, upstate community, they have their own community foundations. And what they're doing is raising funds from within that geographic community. There's people who are very successful. There are people who are vulnerable and who need help. And a lot of those foundations have focused on traditional things like arts and culture and education and health, which is all great. Um, and then I'd say around the 70s and 80s is when you start to see more population-based funds. That's when you saw the rise of women's foundations. Later in the 90s, LGBTQ foundations. Um, as far as I know, we are the very first uh, organization that has used the community foundation and adapted it to labor issues and looked at this particular segment of um, of the labor market as a distinct community with distinct issues and needs, uh, and we um, have heard really amazing things about that idea. The other important thing that's that's notable about the community foundation model is that um, as a public charity, that classification of nonprofits, they're allowed to do advocacy work, and that is central to our mission. So the way that we've um, dedicated ourselves is that one for every dollar that we raise, one third of it is going to go to grant making to go to amazing organizations. So we're going to talk later about some of the grantees that we've started giving to. One third is going to go to our own advocacy and organizational building work and building the com community within uh, the restaurant workers community and having them 
understand the issues, get be self-advocates for the issues, and then another third of our dollars are gonna, is going to go to impact investing. So our idea is that, you know, right now we're parking a third of our funds into um, fund charitable uh, to into investment funds that are uh, ethically sourcing um, do, uh, investments. So only where we have an account at uh, Amalgamated Banks where we put our stuff and it's a historically um, labor-oriented bank. It came out of the labor movement. Um, and But hopefully one day we'd like to be investing funds, uh, doing active shareholder investing so that we can change practices of some of the worst actors in the major restaurant industrial complex. Essentially changing them from within because mm-hmm. you now own it. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Pieces of and it. Pieces <laughs> of it, yeah. And in between those two goals, I think we'd also be investing in small businesses, either locally or, or, or maybe more nationally, that are seeking to do kind of the right thing by their employees. Um, and it, we don't have, like, a set of standards yet, obviously, but, you know, there's you can tell that there are businesses who are seeking to address certain issues in uh, in, in, in the population. So we, we give them sort of low interest loans. And if their business went under, then it's still kind of counted as part of our philanthropic goals. And if it, if it did do well, then we would get some kind of return and that would build our, that would build our funds. I want to ask a little bit more in detail about that um, with impact investing, obviously uh, a kind of well-known challenge that some people will argue about and some maybe won't is that, um, the, the rate of return may or may not be competitive with what you might find in, um, sort of, we'll say, like traditional investing. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've kind of said you will accept, you know, a certain amount of, you know, attrition of the businesses that you're investing in. Um, do you have sort of a strategy? Because I think that a lot of people are interested in impact investing, but mm-hmm. don't really know what to expect when they're going in. So do you have a strategy for returns that you're hoping to see, or is it more, um, you know, you feel that you can be kind of more risk-taking with this venture than, than maybe a well, traditional investment? Right now, we have so little money, it's not worth worrying about. <laughs> True that. Uh, so we actually have to raise some funds before we can really, that we before we have to really think about this. But um, just from a general uh, philanthropic perspective and some of the major philanthropic organizations in New York and across the country are really, you know, grappling with this and have been experimenting with it over the course of time. And there's kind of two sources of funds. There's the whole corpus, which is like basically for a private foundation, 95% of the uh, funds that that assets that that organization holds that continually gets invested. And you want to get a bigger return than the 5% you have to give away each year. But out of the 5% you have to give away every year, you can just give funds through program, what are called PRIs, program-related investments, that are what John was talking about. So you could give this grant that with the expectation that it's going to have a return on income, but if it doesn't, then it's okay because it came out of your program funding budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about really not the, you know, the corpus. Um, so the pure kind of like we're only going to invest in either things where we believe in that the fund has a social purpose, that it is only um, investing in companies that are, do good and uh, have fair labor practices, or that we're doing active shareholder investing in profitable companies but where that are bad actors that we can influence their work. But again, as John said, that's pretty far off for us. Like we need to like actually do some like real fundraising before we can do that. But our Death Star goal is to buy enough shares of Darden so that they have to listen to us. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you said that at the, the launch event. You were like, someone asked that. Yeah. John was ready with the answer. I've been thinking about I it love it. Long time. From the very beginning, actually, like I think when you were having that first conversation with Alex, that was the yeah, idea. Like, let's about... raise funds to like somehow like influence these terrible actors. Um, yeah. So that's always been the dream. So, go ahead. Okay, I have questions. Um, Can you describe the process that you went through in building a board and how Mm. you start thinking about? I mean, you you have a baby organization now, and you're going to grow it into a you know world dominating organization. (laughs) And what are the steps? Of course, there's like a you know a bunch of legal stuff that you have to go through in the beginning, um, and you've got that hurdle cleared and you've built a board. So, what was your strategy? In putting that together, and how are you beginning to think about 
getting those funds to take over the world? Well, in terms of like the, the board, uh, I, you know, I had never started a foundation or anything done it, just build a board before. So what I was really, uh, drawn to was people who I, I had a long relationship with who I knew had an interest in kind of social justice and who are, had a kind of prominence in the restaurant industry. And that's sort of where I, I went first. So, um, that was, and, and also the, sort of it's deliberate in that these people weren't nonprofit people. Cause I think that part of the issue that's going on with like kind of philanthropy and nonprofits and like a lot of times it's like these organizations will exist and then they won't have a, a huge connection to the population that they're serving. Whereas, so we're really hoping to be like a linkage between them and to just kind of have like a, a good flow of information and resources and support back and forth. Um, so I got together with a, you know, slowly added people to the board and then Michael brought in some people that he used to work with uh, in his in the philanthropy world, nonprofit world. Um, and so I, I'm really hoping to have like a mix of people that's more from the restaurant industry and it's like almost as an educational opportunity to, to, to make people more fluent in the, the kind of language of nonprofits and philanthropy. Um, and also to show credibility to our potential funders to say, Hey, like we're actually restaurant people on the ground. If you want your charitable dollars to go as meaningfully as possible, like trust us with it. Like we're kind of like the hedge fund for your charitable dollars. Like we are the people who have the strategic understanding of like what, what needs to happen. I think it's really uh, important to, to note that one of our like kind of logo sayings is that Restaurant Workers Community Foundation is an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers, and the board at the is, you know, we really believe in the participatory grant making model of grant making where the people who are closest to the issue should be making decisions about how to prioritize prioritize action on that issue. Um, so I would say 80% of our board right now is is people who work in the restaurant industry. And I would say most of them are either prominent owners, front of house type people. We really want to get more people from back of house and hourly workers on our board. Um, I'd love to say a little bit about the kinds of people we said in our most recent newsletter, which I very much encourage everybody to go to restaurantworkerscf.org <laughs> and sign up for our newsletter. Um, but in our last newsletter, I talked about um, some that we're hoping to expand our board from the current 10 to 20. And we're really uh, interested in hearing from people who are restaurant workers who want to get more engaged in the issues that we're concentrating on or just want to help plan exciting fundraising events, all for fundraisers. Uh, and we're interested in tip workers. We're interested in back-of-the-house hourly workers. We're interested in prominent chefs or restaurateurs who uh, want to come out and, and um, more clearly for restaurant workers. And we're interested in nonprofit professionals with fundraising, movement building, legal, and accounting and other skills. So, yes. so if that so describes you, so if that describes you, call us, yeah. text us, facts, DMs, <laughs> slide into the DMs slide at their Instagram we're handle. We're on social media. Yeah. Just yeah. open that bo box of sweethearts that you stocked up on because you thought it was going to be the sweetheart <laughs> apocalypse and follow all of the instructions if you want to join this board. Call me, text me, page me, fax me. I, I want to ask a little bit about what your thoughts are for fundraising because, um, there recently was a piece about the Joe Beef guys and in the New York Times. This is kind of tangential, but I have a point. And he was talking about how, you know, this life of excess as a chef, you at, you're asked so constantly to do events that raise mm -hmm. money mm -hmm. for, or, for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And they're usually not nonprofits that put anything back into your workers. And he, he made a point that I raise like three quarters of a million dollars last year. And then I have a cook who can't take time off cause I can't pay him. So keeping that in mind, when you start to think about fundraising and fundraising events, do you think that that will be an angle that you use with chefs and with restaurateurs saying you should do fundraising for this organization because it's actively trying to help your employees and your stakeholders and like this is what you should be putting your time money effort into yeah i think that that's going to be a um a selling point i guess to, to, to 
use an inexact term, but um, yeah, I think that there's like the usual like array of charitable events that that chefs do and restaurants do and bars do, um, and they are, you know, obviously beneficial and they are are worthy to do. But there's no there's no like direct feedback to to what's going on in the community, um, and so we're hoping not only to have like really awesome events where everyone who's working at the events are like really awesome restaurant people who are volunteering their time. You know, a lot of galas are cater waiters and the food's not that great. The wine's not that great. Some are awesome, but like a lot of them, you know, you're just sort of there to give money and just show up, um, which is great. Um, but hoping to have events that are kind of credible on their own right. And then also have this benefit to the restaurant worker community. Um, and we actually do have an event coming up on, uh, March 14th, um, my friend uh, and former colleague, Annalisa Campos, uh, it produces a monthly drag show that's a, a, that does benefits for uh, all kinds of different causes. Um, and this is their first one doing one for restaurant workers. And so a lot of drag drag performers and people are bartenders, they're servers in their, in their, you know, in the kind of their day slash night jobs. And so the response from the, the performers in the community that does that, it's been really, really positive because it's like, oh, wow, finally there's something that's like really feeding back into our community. So I'm hoping that that's really going to help us in terms of, um, having events, but I also hope that more than just getting tickets, you know, or, you know, silent auctions, which obviously are, are really important, but you know, telling people like, Hey, you're a server, you make a hundred thousand dollars a year. What do you do for charity? What do you get? Do you give anything to, to anybody? I mean, maybe people do, but do you have like a $20 donation set up a monthly for, for anyone? Like why, why not us? Like, and not necessarily going after like some big massive donation, but like saying that there's, Hey, you, there's a lot of you who are doing really well. And there's a lot of you who aren't, who aren't. So maybe the ones who are doing well can think about just kind of small ways that they can have an impact. And by trusting us with that money, you can feel like you're actually doing something uh, with your charitable donation um, that's gonna have a direct impact that you're gonna see in front of you. Yeah. Um, let's take a really quick break, and then when we come back, I wanna talk a little bit more about the advocacy, grant making, and impact investing, and then specifically some of the grants that you've already given out. So we'll be right back. Great. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We are here with John DeBerry and Michael Romali. We're talking about the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, which they started last year um, after, I mean, it was launched last year, but you guys have been working on this for a couple years yeah. now. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about sort of, do we call them three tiers, three areas of focus? Yeah, sure. Um, we talked a little bit about the impact investing and then um, I want to get into advocacy and grant making. So for advocacy, tell me a little bit more how you're going to tackle the advocacy part of this. So uh, John's looking at me uh, because, like, <laughs> I, I have a voice. Um, and um, those of you who have received our e-newsletter our e for February, I've got a little bit of the taste of the kind of voice that we want to have. We talked uh, in an uh, opinion piece about um, the the so-called research that the uh, Hospitality Alliance, New York Hospitality Alliance came out with, um, kind of questioning. Um, they had done a survey of restaurant uh, industry people who were owners who are basically their members, um, just basically painting a very apocalyptic picture of what would happen if uh, New York State restaurant workers received a fair wage and the tip credit was eliminated. 
And, and just as a quick background yes. here, who funds that Hospitality Alliance? Uh, well, so it's a membership-based organization, and I believe it's rather large-scale. You know, the, the membership is for the organization is anywhere between $1,000 and $25,000 a year, so I assume it's pretty large-scale our operation restaurants. Um, they don't list on their website who their members are, so it's actually a little hard to know, and they didn't say anything in their study about what the, their methodology was or so who had been surveyed. So they supposedly got um, responses from 534-something um, people but we don't know anything about who those people are and what those opinions represent. So basically the opinion piece that we we put out um, was not so much saying that it's bad to like tap into the thinking of restaurant owners, which is valuable and you know to the extent that people are predict able to pre- actually predict the future and say what they will do in reaction to a certain policy, um, that's valuable to hear, but really questioning about whether or not that's the best way to understand um, the effect of um, eliminating the tip credit as a policy when there is actual research from states that have done it that says that it has not impacted the level of hiring in restaurants. And in fact, in the states where the, rest, where the tip credit has been eliminated, um, the restaurant industry has continued to grow and in fact at, at a faster pace uh, than in states that haven't eliminated the, the tip credit. So um, it was really just kind of questioning the whole study and so we're hoping to do more of that on our advocacy work, continuing to put out our own pieces. I hope that we get enough um, organizational um, credibility over the coming year to start putting out actual um, press releases and opinion pieces that might get picked up in traditional large-scale media. Um, we're kind of in this, like, we are an all-volunteer organization, so we at this moment um, are just, you know, us and the other eight board members are kind of working as hard as we can while we got our day jobs and doing as much as we can. Um, so we're hoping that we can grow the organization and um, hopefully dedicate as much time to advocacy work as we can. So anyone else out there in the press world, media world, who wants to get an amazing piece by the RWCF? <laughs> DM us, text us, call us. Yeah, we're into it. And, you know, I want to give a shout out to some of the, we're going to talk a little bit about the grantees. You know, we're not in this space alone. There are other organizations that are doing amazing work. Um, Rock United has been a huge um, and, and impactful advocate for a lot of the issues that we care about. They have, you know, a slightly different take than we do sometimes. Um, but we are big champions of their role in uh, the restaurant industry, and we are hoping to, you know, add us, you know, a, a voice of a community of the whole community. Um, we're really hoping to tap into the thinking of everybody at all levels in the restaurant industry, whether you're an owner, you're an hourly work back of the house hourly worker, or a salary worker in the back of the house, front of the house managers, tip workers, everybody. We want to listen to those people, and we want to really represent everyone's thinking and concerns. So let's talk about the three grantees that you announced um, last fall. Who are they and what kind of work are they doing? Well, as Michael mentioned, uh, Rock United uh, was, is kind of like the, 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 like the, the premier kind of restaurant worker advocacy group currently, like whenever, when we were sort of building our, our mission, talk to people and they'd be like, well, have you heard of Rock United? And I'm like, yes, I have actually. And <laughs> like, sorry, the founder of Rock United is one of the, you know, inspired me a lot to, 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 to start thinking about this. Like, um, but there's, you know, just cause there's one organization that's addressing one aspect of the restaurant worker community. Like that's, that's not enough. You know, I, it's that there, there needs to be more than that. But that said that we're, that's, I actually got to meet with, with Saru Ajayaraman, who is the founder of Rock United. And we had a great kind of, I guess it was a lunch. I, mean, I forget what it was, but she, you know, it helped me kind of carve out what to do with when, what, how not to overlap with, with them and, um, kind of hearing myself pitch my idea to her and having her be like, hmm, well, we kind of do like half of that. I'm like, okay, so we won't. <laughs> so you're good. You got that. Um, and then they've had, they've, they've offered us a lot of support and guidance along the way. So we gave them uh, a grant. Um, uh, so second grant was to, um, 
Brand Workers, which is uh, helping to organize the immigrant uh, community uh, in food uh, food factories in New York City. So uh, it's a not necessarily restaurant workers, but very close to the food system. Um, and they've done a lot of work with uh, helping the, I guess I want to say victims of the Tomcat Bakery I-9 uh, raid that happened, uh, organize and kind of seek some kind of justice. So we gave them a grant and they've been super helpful. We've had meetings with them and they're, they're it's a really great team. And then uh, Outsmart NYC is the third grantee and they do uh, sexual uh, violence prevention and intervention training and also support uh, survivors of, of sexual uh, violence. Um, and so what they do is they actually will go into a bar or a restaurant and they will train the staff as kind of like the front lines in preventing uh, this from happening, both as in the guests that are at the bar and also among their, their colleagues. Um, so, and they're just like wonderful, amazing, angelic people. <laughs> and so we gave them a grant and we also gave a, a grant to HRN. Which we're so grateful for. Thank you so much. <laughs> we like love being your partner Yeah, already. It's amazing. Um, where can people go to learn more about RWCF? Okay. So on social media, which means Facebook, Instagram and Twitter were RWCFNYC. Um, and then on, on the interwebs, we are restaurantworkerscf.org. Great. Yeah. What's your fax number? <laughs> 212. <laughs> you, you have a fax, right? Um, how is anyone ever going to get in touch with you? <laughs> um, okay, great. Well, Thank you guys so much for joining yeah. us. Um, you. John, you know the drill. Michael, you're new. We're going to play a little trivia. Guess what? Oh, my God. Okay. Ready. I'm <laughs> I have ready. not I'm seen ready. the questions. I was in the room when Kat was working on them. Okay. Furiously. Furiously. Trying to I did listen to the other episodes that John was on. And I don't know if I can be nearly as witty and entertaining. So <laughs> I think I'll you try can. to keep up. Okay. I think you can. So okay. is this like a, a, the, 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 the classic like John DeBerry tweet or like Orson Welles or whatever? Who would you, who would we, you? we played, yeah, I have we a new one. John oh, okay, or that um, one was really, really fun. Andy this Rooney? is a different game. Yeah, that was, yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it was John DeBerry or Jack Hand. It was Jack Handy, <laughs> yeah. Deep Thoughts. <laughs> Because um, they were so... Some were hard. So I, good. I, I was like, did I say Did that? I write that? Like, you could work for SNL and <laughs> write I, check. But when I was listening to it, I was like, ah, that's John DeBerry. <laughs> well, I you am should. the consumer of this. Uh, <laughs> we have yeah, a true expert here. So we need to revive that game, yeah, Michael. You have to come back and do yeah, it again. Deal. There you guys should face time. off against each other in Ooh. that game and see... Who knows J- JDB? Like the, like the newlywed game? Next Michael. time we'll play a right. newlywed game. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And h- how long have you been married? Uh, five years? Married. We forget our own anniversary. It's really amazing. Like, yeah, I had to fi- go back in my uh, Instagram feed to figure out which year we'd actually <laughs> gotten married. We get like texts from our friends like, happy anniversary. And we're like, oh, I guess we should do something tonight. <laughs> but we've been together for 12 years, so. Okay. 13 maybe it's like the the midly wed game yeah yeah (laughs) the wedded game every day is a new adventure (laughs) (laughs) um okay so the trivia i thought that a fun theme for trivia today would be in this revolutionary spirit of like the origin story of rwcf Mm. so this trivia is uh about revolutions and revolutionaries okay question number one the Women's March was the largest single-day protest in U.S. history on January 21st, 2017, but it wasn't the first of its kind. The Women's March on Versailles took place on October 5th, 1789, and was sparked because of the scarcity of what food? I'm just going to say bread. You're right. Cake? <laughs> Cake. <laughs> yes. Good job. Question number two. Which revolutionary grew up on a hacienda in the Mexican state of Durango and worked as... No. He worked as a sharecropper, butcher, and bricklayer before becoming a general and one of the most prominent figures of the Mexican Revolution. Oh. Uh, uh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could give you a hint on this one, but I'm, like, not super familiar. um, Pup. Oh, Poncho. Poncho yeah. Yeah. There it is. Was it? Oh my, that's yeah. what I was like. Yep. Um, so if you notice, I tried to like got, have them had sort of be food way. related. He grew up, I didn't know he grew up on a hacienda and he worked as a farmer and a butcher. There's a tequila that has his horse on it. 
Oh, that would Which make sense. Siete oh. Leguas. Oh. Is yeah. it good? This uh, is yeah, the it's the former it's the former distillers uh, from Patron. And so they used to make Patron, and then Patron demanded more output from them, and they were like, fuck you. And so they, they bounced. <laughs> and it's really good to heal. <laughs> I were you, you just recently in my trivia points for Last year. That. Last yeah. year. Okay. It's like kind of my job. So, yeah. For book research? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Yeah. yeah. It, w- it went in my book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number three. John Robbins is the well-known author of Diet for a New America and has dedicated his life to what he calls a food revolution and getting people to make healthier eating choices. He turned down the chance to run his family business, which makes sense when you know what that business is. What chain did John Robbins' father, Irv, start in the 1960s? Baskin Robbins? Correct. Ooh, yeah, that's a guess. Nice. You guys are You remember the last thing? All right, question number four. This revolutionary leader was mostly vegetarian, but he loved imported wine, cheese, meats, and olives from the U.S., foods that his fellow countrymen would have a hard time getting their hands on. Who is he? So can you say the beginning part of that again? Uh, He was a revolutionary leader, mostly vegetarian, but he liked his fine wine, cheese, and meat imported from the U.S., which was not available to people that he was ruling. Mao Zedong? I was going to say that. Closer. <laughs> closer. Closer to us? Uh, geographically. Yeah. Uh, oh, my. Uh, somewhere in the Western Hemisphere. Think, uh, think just south of Florida. Oh, oh, wow. oh, oh, Cuba. Um, um, oh, my God. <laughs> Beard. Castro. Yes. <laughs> Beardy guy. The guy with the beard. Um, I like that he was like went out of the way to be like, he's mostly vegetarian, but then clearly not. He right. liked to eat cheese and meats. Well, I guess cheese is fine. So he's just not a vegetarian. He just likes he's to like, eat good he's food. He's like a vegetarian who also eats meat. Yeah. 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 You know. Got it. Yeah. You know, those vegetarians. <laughs> All right. Last question. This one's a little bit harder. This is a weird one. Okay. What food item was included in the rations for American revolutionary soldiers in order to make water secured from nearby creeks, rivers, and lakes more potable? Whiskey. Uh-uh. Uh, oh, add, apple cider. Yeah. No, no, close. Oh. Wait, what's the rest of the question? Sorry. It would add, okay, so it would make water more potable. It would add flavor to food, and it could be used as an antiseptic. You're very close. Apple brandy? Apple vinegar? Yes. Wow. Vinegar. Yeah. Nice. Did do you read in Michael Pollan's book that like the whole thing on apple cider and like how it was like a like a staple of like the diet of like yeah. people in the Revolutionary yeah. War era? It's was like they way drank more it popular so than beer. Like cider and beer safe. was part of the ration too. Yeah. Like that was like a big part of the ration. That they would also normally get vinegar as well. But I guess you could mm. always make vinegar if you ran out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you had time. It's a plan. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would have drank all the cider. By I wouldn't. Way, have. We need yeah. yeah. You made me realize that last night I. I literally had a dream about making two gallons of hard cider. Mm, I don't know why. Dream. It's a really specific dream. I had two <laughs> gallons, and I was like checking that they were fermenting, and they were, and I smelled it, and I was like, cool. So Anybody want to interpret that? what that dream what means? Mean? Uh, <laughs> you're thirsty. I guess so. I also went, okay, I went to an incredible event last night that was um, the Perrier Jouet uh, Blanc de Blanc launch party, and I had... Fancy. approximately 47 glasses of champagne so i yeah. think i might have just been yeah. like dreaming of you were in with you were in withdrawal and you're yeah. you're you like, need to figure out how to get I some more alcohol more? Yeah. <laughs> your body's like you're gonna have a hangover tomorrow unless you drink then uh drink cider that's right that's right make cider and then make it into vinegar stat um one thing we didn't mention we talked a lot about your board but we didn't mention that one of your board members is our very oh, own yeah. southern teague oh yeah right. speaking yes. of spirits and things yes Yes, he has been an excellent thought partner. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He is. Yeah. Um, Well, okay. I think that's our show. Thank you. That has been our show. That's been our show. With confidence. Um, Thanks to Chef Paul Verica, who called in earlier today. And thanks to our in-studio guests, John DeBerry and Michael Romali. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's been great. It's been a blast. You guys come back anytime you want. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
poor standing invitation. Um, Michael, we, we'll study trivia before we are next. I will. Players. Seriously, I'm very competitive. <laughs> well, next time we'll definitely play like a newlywed style game. Yes, <laughs> one you can't study for unless you just study oh, each other. Oh, I and I do. I, <laughs> he will, and I will also wake up and find him like staring at me. So I'm making sure you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, best of luck with all the plans for Thank 2019. You. Uh, can you remind us again when the event, your next, your next event is? Oh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I didn't really, uh, articulate that very clearly. Um, so it's called wall breaker and it's every, it's the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, and it's at Macri park, uh, in Williamsburg and it's, uh, March 14th and it starts at 1030 10, to 3 a.m. Woo! But like drag queen hours, it's like a little iffy. So yeah. Well, it's, we'll be there be, at 10.30. Get there at 10.30 and we'll be there if you want to talk to us. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> get there early, talk about the foundation. Exactly. And then get ready for the show. Yeah, it's on, yes. our, it's on our Facebook page. So if you go to RWCF NYC on Last Facebook, time, you can see our event page and RSVP. So we know you're coming. I oh. will be wearing heels. Come <gasps> for the glittery pink heels. Sign me up. Do you have them already? I've been yes. wearing them for the past month, girl. I'm not even taking them off. Good, good. I mean, I'm disappointed that you didn't wear them to the shipping container today. But <laughs> well, wait, they sorry, don't know sorry. I'm not He's wearing totally them. He's totally wearing them right They're now. They're so sparkly. You'll never know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you'll have to be there to see for yourselves. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, Amanda, our stalwart thanks, engineer. Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> and thanks, Katie. Thank you, Kat. Um, we'll see you all next Friday. Friday. Saturday. And Sunday. Tune in. Uh, our Friday show is going to have Brent Hart Hoffman on it, and he's a favorite of the show, so make sure you tune in. Yes. Friday, 4.15 p.m. Also, Saturday is going to be unforgettable because it's Harry's birthday. And we can't tell you why. But just don't miss. Surprises. Don't birthday. miss. Surprises. <laughs> he doesn't know it's his birthday. <laughs> we can't tell you why. <laughs> he just appeared. And then Sunday, we're going to have Jillian Zettler from... Um, Charleston Wine and Food and Steve Palmer, who was also nominated for a James or semifinalist for a James Beard mm-hmm. Award. And Saturday Jeff- we'll have a semifinalist also on Happy Hour. Yes, we will. We're Cynthia almost, Wong. Yeah. Well, do we have one on Friday? We'd be I don't, four for four. I don't think so. We we better get one. We'll just we pretend. Nominee. I'll nominate you. <laughs> everyone everyone deserves it. They all work hard. Everybody's They're- special. <laughs> Participation trophies for everybody. Yay. Okay. Okay. With that. We shall see you next Friday. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. HR and Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.